Hello, it's Caroline. I'm just here to tell you that this episode that you're about to listen to was recorded during a time when I still used Patreon. I do not use Patreon anymore, but you can find helpful resources by going to thefuckadiet.com slash more. You can also read the beginning of the Fuck a Diet book for free from my site. Lastly, this podcast is extremely messy. And it was actually intentionally messy and unstructured because that was the only way I could inspire myself to start and continue this podcast. I needed the lowest stakes possible. And though this podcast remains very low budget and has remained messy throughout the years until now, if you want slightly more structured and streamlined episodes, listen to the more recent episodes. All right, enjoy. Hello. Welcome to a new episode of the Fuck It Diet podcast. Uh, my name is Caroline Dooner. I'm your host. I've finally learned the name of my podcast after I've renamed it, which makes me feel pretty great, feeling pretty good. <laughs> and um, today is going to be a solo episode. I've been I've been having a lot of episodes with other people sharing my conversations with them and we will be going back to that next episode but this is going to be a solo episode like i used to do where i i share a long blog post that is associated with the episode and that's the bulk of the content and today i'm going to be addressing weight set point or weight set range and it's a question that i get asked very often when people read the book Um, They want to know more about it. They want to know what's going to happen to their own weight and how weight set point is going to work for them. And so that is what this episode is going to be about. But before we get there, I would like to share some listener emails. The past couple episodes, I've been asking for people to send me inspiring experiences or successful experiences on the fuck a diet that they think will be inspiring and helpful to other people who are listening who are just starting out so i ask that they've been doing this for at least six months maybe even closer to a year and telling their story and and sharing their experience Um, because I really do think that that is an important and helpful thing for people to be able to hear. I can talk about my experience until I'm blue in the face, but inevitably and inherently, it's not going to be the same as everyone else's. So hearing different people share their experience, I think is really important. So if you have a story you would like to send in, please email it to podcast at carolineduner.com. So I'm actually going to share two today. I usually just share one, but I'm going to share two different stories. And if you've already written into me and I haven't written, I haven't read your story yet, just know that I probably will on an upcoming episode. And um, every single person who writes into me, I'm so thankful. So if you haven't heard it yet and you don't hear it today, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to read it. But um, today I'm going to share two. And the first one is from Diane. And she said, Caroline... Your book has been so life-changing for me. When I first started reading it in March of last year, I felt like I could have written it myself. I was knee-deep in Whole30 Paleo at the time, trying to cure my IBS, acne, and many other things. I had eliminated so many things and was afraid to eat anything. 
that, of course, led to all kinds of binging. After nearly a decade of quote-unquote health obsession, I was so exhausted and felt hopeless. Now, this really does sound like my experience because I did a decade too. I was paleo when I um, when I had my fuckatite epiphany, so I totally get why she said it. She feels like she could have written it too. Very similar experiences. Okay, back to the email. I heard about your book from a podcast and thought, why not? I've tried everything else. I read it in two days. I decided to go all in and my quote-unquote honeymoon phase lasted about four to five months. I threw out the scale, stopped tracking everything, and began to enjoy all the things that I had deprived myself for so long. At first, it was all very scary. I steadily grew out of a lot of my clothes, and I was tempted so many times throughout this process to go back to dieting. But mentally, I knew that I just didn't have the energy for that anymore. I didn't have the money for a therapist, so I joined some like-minded people online, changed up my social media feed, read some great books, Body Respect, my other big recommendation besides yours. That's what she said. (laughs) Not that that's what she said joke. She said Body Respect is her big other recommendation besides mine, and Body Respect is my big other recommendation besides mine. Okay, and she said, and listened to so many podcast episodes. The questions throughout your book definitely helped me reflect on things as well. So those would be like the prompts from the book. It was amazing how much mental space was opened up when I let that quote unquote control go because we think it's control, but is it really control? And then she goes on to say, I just want to let people know to keep pushing through when it feels really hard. It will get better. I know that I still have so much privilege as I am now in the largest of the straight sizes. And if you don't know, straight sizes refers to sizes that are um, not plus sizes. And those are the easiest ones to find in most stores. So she's saying she has the privilege of still being able to fit into straight sizes. Um, And she said, being open and honest with my family and friends when I could helped a lot. Most of them were so lovely about it. I am finally able to be much more present and my relationships feel so much better. I also started meditating and that helped me to be able to feel through some of the things I've been avoiding for years. I'm so grateful that I get to be another type of mother for my two daughters now. They used to see a mother that weighed everything she ate, didn't eat the same foods as them, couldn't miss a workout even on vacation, took so many before and after photos and were was always preoccupied with something else. Now we enjoy all foods together. They know the true value. They know their true value has nothing to do with their appearance. We laugh, play games, and enjoy time together. You have given me, oh my God, I'm going to cry. You've given me the best gift of all, my freedom. I can't thank you enough. Um, and then I emailed her back and I told her I was going to be sharing it on this episode and she wrote back and she said that something that she forgot to add, um, she said something I forgot to add that will be of no surprise to you, eliminating foods never helped my acne. I just had to learn to accept that this is a part of my journey, just like cellulite, body size, or anything else. My worth lies outside of those things. And why am I while my digestion isn't perfect, I don't think anyone's is, my quote-unquote IBS went away after I healed my relationship with food. And that tends to happen for a lot of people. Not everyone, of course. Not all IBS is caused by food restriction, but 
a good percentage of people's is definitely exacerbated by food restriction. So she said, my IBS went away after I healed my relationship with food. I even went on a low FODMAP diet and I would not recommend that to anyone. It was just, I was just one big ball of anxiety. And once that went away, everything felt better. Thank you, Diane, for writing in. Um, So I just want to go back and say that when she says the honeymoon phase lasted four to five months, um, I'm assuming that that means like the sort of extreme refeeding because I feel like everyone's honeymoon phase is kind of a misnomer because it makes it sound like that's like the fun part, but actually that's the scary part for people. Um, those first few months when you feel like your appetite is just absolutely humongous, you feel like you could eat the entire world, people are usually very frightened that this is a sign that you can't be trusted, you know, because you're so hungry. And I feel like that's the thing I want to be able to articulate. And that's the thing that I, I, I needed somebody to tell me that that's the way it went Um, when I was learning about intuitive eating because I didn't interpret it that way. I was like, oh, intuitive eating is just about listening so closely to your body and making sure that you don't eat a lot because if you were truly intuitive, you wouldn't eat a lot, right? And that is a diet. Like that is a diet where you're micromanaging and overthinking your own hunger and fullness cues and especially after years or even just like months of extreme dieting there's going to be a pendulum swing and you're going to be uh really hungry for a period of time and it's a different period again this is the kind of thing like people want me to be able to say like okay it's going to be three exactly three months of a lot of hunger and then it'll shift and it's different for every person like it really is there are literally people who are like I ate a lot of food for two weeks and then I felt normal and there are also people who are like I have been so hungry for a year and a half what's wrong with me those are usually cases where someone had a more extreme restrictive disordered eating or even eating disorder even if it wasn't diagnosed um where there's like an extreme response because of extreme restriction. Um, But it is a phase. It is a response to the restriction. And it does not last forever. Um, So thank you, Diane, again. Before I read the second one, I I want to talk about Patreon because in the, at the end of the last episode, I talked about it a little bit because I had just re like literally just reinstated it. And I actually had to go back and re-record the end because I had just like added stuff, made the plan, like was just starting to tell people about it, was just starting to like accept that I had brought back Patreon. And I was like, you know what? I should like add this to the episode. However, what I would like to tell you now is that I'm very excited. I'm actually genuinely excited about Patreon. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a place where you can become a patron of creators and you get access to bonus content. And for $10 a month, you will get access to lots 
of bonus goodies. Every month I will be posting a piece of archived content. Now, this will sometimes be archived podcast episodes, but a lot in the beginning, it's going to be archived Q&As from past programs that I run. So sometimes it'll be from the Fuck a Diet Book Club, my, my newest program. Sometimes it'll be from my older program, Fucketeer Academy. Right now, um, let me actually look and read to you what I have. So right now, uh, if you join the Patreon, you will immediately get access to um, a post that has two different videos talking about the way I used to teach limiting belief releases like the evolution of my limiting belief release into what it became in the book. You will also get access to the digital compilation of all the fuck a diet prompts from the original manuscript. So if you sign up for my free, oh God, I, I feel like I'm now going off on a tangent, but if you sign up for my free resources, if you've read the book, I have these book bonus resources at thefuckitdiet.com slash resources. And if you sign up for those, totally free. This is different from Patreon. If you sign up for those, you get a PDF of my resource list of different books and practitioners and people you can follow, a PDF of the prompts from the book. So that's a 23-page PDF. And also some emails with some other content that I had to cut from the book for length. Now, if you sign up on Patreon, one of the things you get is a 54 page, so that it's like almost twice as long, 54 page digital compilation of the prompts from the book plus prompts that used to be in the book but had to be cut for length because my original manuscript was 95,000 words and it was too long and they made me cut it way down. So that's one of the things you'll get. It's like if I had a workbook, which I don't because it's easier said than done to get a publishing deal for a workbook, though I will work on it no pun intended, um, This that would be what would be in the workbook. But I don't have a workbook publishing deal now, so this is the way to get it. Okay, another, another thing you get is an archived Q&A from Fucketeer Academy, and you get to see my old weird haircut when I wanted to look like the girl from Portlandia. Um, and also a Q&A replay from the Fuck It Diet book club so I wanted to front load it so people who joined this month would get like a good little you know little uh, library of content however every month meaning tomorrow because I'm I'm recording this on leap day is that what it's really called leap day is that true I need to I need to say leap day is it a real thing oh it is okay it's called leap day sounds weird um so March 1st is tomorrow, and by the time you're listening to this, it'll be March 2nd, but there'll be a new piece of archived content, um, and most of them are like at least an hour long for the people who signed up on Patreon. So I don't know why I'm talking about this for so long, but I actually think it's pretty cool. And the thing that I think is especially cool is that I have actually, in, on, in the back end of Patreon, scheduled all of the monthly content for the next three years. And I cannot tell you how exciting that is to me because when I have done Patreon in the past, I have struggled with knowing what to offer as goodies and thank yous for people who have signed up. Uh, 
then I realized I had all of this archived content from past programs and it's literally just sitting there and it's not published anymore. It's not accessible to the general public and it's good stuff that uh, that people used to pay for. So if you would like access to that, it's $10 a month and you also get first priority to ask questions for the podcast. So if you're interested, go to patreon.com slash check it out. Other than that, whatevs. Let's get into the second uh, email that I'm going to read. This is from Emily. She said, hi, Caroline. I wanted to write about my experience with the Faka diet in case you need, want more stories to share. Yes, I do. So if you're listening to this, I always want more stories to share. Please send your success inspiring story to podcast at carolinedooner.com. In fall 2017, I had an appointment with my therapist where she mentioned that she would like to see me get to a place where I didn't need calorie counting or my Fitbit. We'd been addressing perfectionism, body image, and control, but not disordered eating directly. The concept that I didn't need to monitor my food and exercise blew my mind, which led me down a Google rabbit hole, leading me to your podcast. I devoured all of the fuck a diet content I could find online and oh, I lost my place. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, um, it provided me with the framework for the how my therapist had already been gently nudging me towards the why I then proceeded to allow myself to eat three pieces of gloriously buttery toast in a row. And the rest is history. Wow. I love that. I love that three pieces of gloriously buttery toast was like the beginning of the rest of your life. (sighs) Just got chills. She said, well, it's easy to say that now, nearing two and a half years later. Building on some of the other success stories you've been sharing in recent episodes, I wanted to share some of the challenges I encountered along the way. I gained weight on the fuck a diet, as many do. The entire time it was happening, I kept telling myself that it was going to stabilize soon. I would have nights deep in the internet, seeking reassurance and trying to get certainty around exactly when I would stop gaining. I think this is completely normal behavior, given how terrifying it is to gain weight in a fatphobic society. Please know that no matter what you read online or hear about other people's journeys, yours will be unique. Work towards accepting that and finding ways to build safety in the uncertainty. Keep eating. Oh my God, guys, you're such good emails. Okay, keep eating, keep resting, buy spacious new clothes. I sized up several times and also bought a cheap, larger sized interim wedding ring. Access therapy if you can. Build a fat positive Instagram feed. Read about complex trauma. Get really honest with yourself about the role that exercise may play in your restriction. The food part came much more easily than the exercise and rest part for me. I love hiking and due to some poor timing, I was just starting to get into multi-day treks and backpacking during my fuck it diet. For the whole first year of my journey, I was caught in an awkward limbo of starting to pursue intuitive movement, but also being committed to these trips that required me to keep training. Things came to a head in December 2018 when I developed chronic ankle pain while hiking in Patagonia. 
I needed to stop hiking for the better part of 2019. Even going for a walk around the block became painful. Ooh, that's hard. I scrambled to try and find other ways to move, uh, sorry, other ways of moving to fill in for hiking, such as swimming and biking, but I kept hurting myself by throwing myself at these activities from a place of desperation. I didn't know how to exist without intense exercise. I finally surrendered to a couple months of near complete rest. My body basically forced me to when I wouldn't listen. I followed that by slowly integrating very basic intuitive movement, including stretching, yin yoga, Pilates, and gentle walks. I could finally come at movement from a place of self-care and rehabilitation as opposed to from a place of restriction. And as a sidebar, I'm just going to say that that is often what happens, that if we don't listen, we either become so exhausted that we are forced to listen or we have an injury and it's almost like and sometimes it's because of actual overexertion and sometimes I find it's very like weirdly synchronistic and energetic that our body is like I literally just we can't we can't all right I'm going back into her email she said my ankle is a lot better these days and I'm slowly integrating hiking into my life again I used to tell myself I did it for nature and the enjoyment of it But with hindsight, I can see how much of it was underscored by idealizing the notion of a quote-unquote high-calorie burn and the potential of losing weight or staving off further gain. Yes, I gained more weight when I stopped intense exercise. However, I believe I needed to truly surrender to that place of rest and rehabilitation before I could find a place of true self-care and stability. I haven't needed to size up in the last six to eight months, so I'm thinking that I'm probably safe to resize my wedding rings now and start investing in some quality plus size fashion. However, I know that my body will continue to change throughout my life just less wildly than it did during restriction and recovery. And I wanted to share this as well because it's very, very in line with the actual subject that I'm going to be talking about soon that I wrote about for the blog post that's associated with this episode about weight set point, weight set theory. She ends the email by saying, thanks, Caroline. I've always appreciated your take on things and will forever be thankful I hit upon your resources that night after therapy. Emily. Ah, well, that was another really amazing email. The more details you can share and the more specific you can get about what you experienced, what you were afraid of, what you eventually had to do in order to truly heal and truly surrender, I think the better because it's these kind of emails that resonate with people or help people almost hold a mirror up to what people are doing because I'm sure there are a lot of people who are listening to this who are maybe in the beginning and who are starting to allow food but just need a reminder that exercise is also another part of it and it can be a way that we still try to hold on to some control and it also still it really does affect our relationship with food and it affects sort of that state that our body is in and if we're not allowing the rest part especially because I think it really is an important part of like the rehabilitation and sort of almost like the repair that our body has to go through um it can it can definitely kind of slow down the process or make it um 
you know, make you still feel extremely hungry and you wonder why, but it's because of this exercise piece. Um, and by extremely hungry, I mean like that irrational sort of like refeeding hunger that feels like it shouldn't be as, uh, you shouldn't be as ravenous as you are, but yet you should be as ravenous as you are because you are that ravenous, you know? <sighs> okay. I would like to talk about therapy. If you have been wanting to start therapy or find a new therapist, but feel daunted by the task of having to find a new one, which is totally understandable. When I finally decided to go to therapy, it took me three different therapists to find one that I really liked and felt comfortable with. So I would like to talk about online counseling. BetterHelp is online counseling and you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. Pace? Shit! Pace? Okay, at your own pace with a licensed counselor chosen for your specific needs based on a questionnaire that you fill out. You can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you have unlimited access to chat and text with your therapist. That's amazing. So you can get therapy in the comfort of your own home, which if you know me, is ideal. I never want to have to leave my house if I can do something from the comfort of my own home. And BetterHelp is available worldwide. The best part is if you are not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time, no additional charge. BetterHelp is affordable, convenient, secure, and financial aid is available to those who qualify. So if you've been thinking about going to therapy or finding a new therapist, this is one of the easiest ways to help you get the help that you deserve. And again, I just love that you can say this is not a fit and you get rematched with a new therapist. It is truly an affordable option for therapy. Plus, you, my listener, will get 10% off your first month with discount code TFID, as in the fuck it diet, TFID. Go to betterhelp.com TFID. You simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and I recommend putting in the notes section that you'd like a health at every size informed counselor and you'll get matched with a counselor and start communicating in under 24 hours. That's betterhelp.com slash TFID. You can go at your own pace, not paste. Okay. (sighs) All right. So let's get into the namesake of this episode. Let's talk about weight set point. Now, if you would like to read along, if you would like to read along with my words, you can go to thefuckdiet.com slash blog and find this blog post, or it should be in the episode notes. Like if you're listening on iTunes, you should be able to just like read this along with the episode right in your app. So ever since the Fuck a Diet book came out, I've been paying attention to the most commonly asked questions and trying to address them slowly. Like one of the biggest questions was, what about vegetarianism? And so I did a post on what about vegetarianism and a podcast episode a couple episodes back, probably like maybe seven at this point. And one of the other biggest question themes is about weight set point. So the first thing I want to point out is that it's actually... A weight set range. So whenever anyone refers to weight set point, the point that they're referring to is actually a range, a weight range where your body feels safest. So this is not exactly a newbie question. This is usually a question that people ask after they've read the book 
and then start worrying about what this process is going to be like for them, which is completely understandable. Uh, when people start to either read my book or read all of my blog posts, there's usually a thought process that goes something like, and I'm sharing this to get us all on the same page for the newbies. This is like a 95 word summary of um, the fuck a diet. Okay, so you're telling me that my binging and food addiction is not actually a food addiction, but more of a biological food fixation, thanks to food insecurity, past attempts at dieting, diet mentality, food guilt, and the threat of future diets? Okay. And you're telling me that when I get out of this yo-yo and stop restricting and start truly listening and feeding my body that my appetite will normalize? Okay, and you're telling me that my body has a weight set point where it wants to be and will settle there if I can just trust my appetite? So again, it's a weight set range, not a static point. And with the disclaimer that the Fuck a Diet book will do a way better job of explaining the nuances of this process beyond that 95 word inner monologue that I just did, let's get to the common questions that I get about weight set range. First one, how much of a range is my weight set range? Second one, how long is it gonna take to stabilize in my weight set range? And three, how will I know that I've settled in my weight set range? So in a way, I do regret all the focus that I have to put on the fact that we will normalize in a weight set range because it can become, in its own way, a diet-like mentality. Just like that email that I read where she said she spent like hours and hours late at night Googling and trying to figure out how long it was going to take for her to stabilize and normalize I totally under like I totally understand it makes sense that we want to know what's going to happen to us however it still puts the focus on weight and it makes a promise about weight that people focus on in a way that can in its own way undermine healing and undermine the surrender process that inevitably will have to happen in order to heal. In general, I tend to prefer to focus on how allowing food and eating more food can calm down fixation on food and compulsive eating and binge eating and feelings of food addiction and even emotional eating. But at the same time, I also understand the focus on weight. I understand that it's an essential piece of the puzzle. And if I said, eh, just eat a lot and gain lots of weight and fuck weight stabilization and frankly, fuck everything and everyone, most people would say, uh, no thanks, sounds like anarchy. Though it should be said that I think that anarchy could be healing in its own right and probably would be healing in its own right. It's still not really the full picture. Because what the fuck is going on with our weight? Why do we struggle with our weight? Why do we gain weight at the drop of a hat while other people don't? How does weight work in the first place? Why is this happening to us? Of course, we want to know the answer to these questions. We want to understand how weight works, why we've been experiencing what we've been experiencing and what we're going to experience in the future. It makes sense. I get it. And without some sort of assurance that you will have a more stable experience with your eating and weight, I'm not sure that many people would take the leap. Because why would you if you weren't going to experience anything that was calmer than before? Also, contrary to what the fuck a diet's biggest detractors think, I'm not encouraging people to gorge themselves into oblivion just for the freaking sake of it, even though, again, I support it if that's what your soul is calling you towards. Because after being forced to obsess over something as soul-sucking as the size of your body for years, fuck everything, really. 
But the truth is that we are obsessed with food, act out of control with food, and feel addicted to food because of our fear of food and weight. The biggest predictor for future weight gain, future weight cycling, and binge eating is dieting and intentional weight loss. So if what you want is to feel calmer around food and stop putting your body through the ringer, you've got to step off the treadmill, figuratively speaking, in the very least. Talking about how feeding yourself can help you stabilize in your weight range is a selling point for the fuck a diet and listening to your hunger because first of all, it's true. And second, it's what we're all searching for. Calming down, less drama, less of a roller coaster. We just want to be able to trust our bodies and we just want to trust that we don't have to micromanage everything. So assuring you that we all do have a weight set range where our body wants to be and will settle in is a way to help you understand that you can trust your body without promising everyone thinness because you cannot promise thinness. So before I go on, a book that I I wrote this not realizing that it was going to be in one of the emails, but I said before I go on a book that I really like that goes a little bit deeper into the science behind weight stabilization and weight set point theory is the book Body Respect by Linda Bacon and Lucy Affamore. Uh, Linda Bacon on the book. Uh, She goes by Linda Bacon now. Uh, So Body Respect by Linda Bacon and Lucy Affamore. And I highly recommend it if you have not read it already. And I also think that's a really good book for people to read after they've read The Fuck It Diet because it just goes more into the science, which is something that a lot of people crave. So let's get to these questions that I listed 10 minutes ago. First question, how big of a range is our weight set range? Everyone is different. And there is no way to truly know where your body wants to be until you get out of the yo-yo up and down, and let your body settle where it wants to. This is a harder pill to swallow than what bastardized versions of intuitive eating promise when they promise that you'll lose weight once you start listening to your body. That is a totally irresponsible promise, in my opinion and experience, because you cannot account for what someone's weight needs to do, especially after years of dieting, yo-yoing, disordered eating, and a more restrictive, or especially a more restrictive eating disorder especially in a culture where so many of us are actually chronically under eating and that's the reason why we're binging in the first place. Promising weight loss is assuming that everyone is inherently overeating and also not understanding weight set range theory and and the healing role of weight gain after restriction. So some people start allowing food and normalize their eating very quickly and they do end up losing weight. But in my experience, after years of off and on dieting, more people end up gaining weight, at least for a time, if not permanently. The thing that will be different from dieting is that you won't be struggling to stay there. I meant to say, you won't be struggling to stay where you end up because your body will want to maintain the weight range that it wants to maintain. How's that for vague assurance? Your body will want to maintain the weight range that it wants to maintain. Yeah. Deep. 
We all have genetic weight set ranges that are governed by the hypothalamus. And our body works pretty hard to stay within that range. Why isn't this more common knowledge? I do not fucking know. But the consequence of people assuming that our weight is a simple matter of calories in versus calories out means that so many people in larger bodies who've been encouraged to diet their entire lives, who've been dieting their entire lives, and who sometimes barely eat and should probably be diagnosed with anorexia, are not only not diagnosed, but they're encouraged to keep starving themselves, you know, for their health and happiness. So how big is our weight set range? It is different for every person. Scientists say it's about 10 to 20 pounds, but I have seen that some people, it can have a way bigger range than that, especially when people are constantly dieting and constantly going up and down and up and down. Um, that's also why and how different people yo-yo within different ranges. So just think about the people in your life who diet. Some people yo-yo 15 pounds. Some people yo-yo 50 pounds. Some people are constantly yo-yoing between 120 pounds and 140 pounds their whole life. Some people yo-yo constantly between 200 pounds and 260 pounds. These are all just examples. But everyone is different. And no matter what you do, you are probably not going to become someone who settles at 140 pounds if you tend to yo-yo between 200 and 260 pounds and vice versa. So where you yo-yo is most likely around your weight set range because that's literally where your body has been trying to keep you even as you go up and down. So when you go below the weight where your hypothalamus feels safe, just like a thermostat, your hypothalamus eventually slows down your metabolism and fixates you on food in order to help you to gain back to a place where it feels safer and healthier. And one of the things that can actually mess with this homeostasis and make you go above your original weight set range besides endocrine or other health issues is restriction. Dieting. Dieting can raise your set point because your body wants to make sure you have enough stores if the diet or famine, which is what it really is, comes back. So just know that if you want to settle somewhere safe and stable, dieting and restricting is not the way to do that. Also, just want to put it out there that the expectation and hope that intuitive eating or the fuck a diet will eventually lower your weight set range is not something that anyone can promise either and probably not going to happen. Okay, here's the other question. How long is it going to take to normalize? Again, there's no simple answer. It depends on so many factors. How long have you been dieting? How resistant are you to actually going through this process? How long does it take you to fully stop dieting and restricting and over-exercising? How long does it take you to stop trying to micromanage your hunger and your weight? Did you have an eating disorder for years? How dedicated are you to uncovering your sneaky and subconscious beliefs that might be getting in the way? I tend to notice that people are able to do the bulk of the stabilization by going through the physical part from the book in a few months to a year. And then the emotional and mental parts will most likely take longer to work through. But again, that doesn't mean that everyone will stabilize in the same amount of time, especially if they're someone who was very restrictive for a long time. So anyone who's listening to this who 
has had very restrictive eating or who has had anorexia. Um, though the fuck a diet is not specifically for eating disorders and I absolutely do not have the expertise, just know that beyond needing to get support in your recovery, just know that all of the things that you experience will probably be extremely heightened and take a lot longer just because there's more healing to do. So just keep that in mind. There are a lot of people, I think it's really interesting, a lot of people write to me and they're like, I've never dieted, um, does this apply to me? Um, or I've never dieted, but I feel really, really out of control around food. And then a couple like lines later, they're like, well, I did have anorexia for five years. And I'm like, that's like, that is, di- <laughs> that's dieting. That's like dieting to the extreme. So I don't, I don't really understand those comments that I get, but just in case you think that a eating disorder isn't dieting, an eating disorder is extreme, extreme, extreme version of dieting. Okay, here's the last question. How will I know that I've settled in my weight set range? So I think that the most important thing to note is that overthinking your weight range stabilization is kind of like its own form of resistance. Again, I understand it. I think most people will experience some form of overthinking and worrying about it, but overthinking it isn't going to get you there any faster. It's probably going to get you there slower, and it's prob- it's, it's its own form of resistance, and it's a false sense of control because you can't control it no matter how much you overthink it. That's the whole point. It's a, it's a range that is very genetic and also affected by past dieting or eating disorders so the only way to get there is to go through the process of healing your relationship with food so in a way it's counterintuitive to even discuss because there is nothing that can be done about it anyway except of course the practical issue of clothing yourself which is a very annoying and practical issue that can't be ignored i understand that buying new clothes can suck but that doesn't change that it still needs to be done So this is how you can tell you're close to your stable weight. Once you feel pretty calm around food and stop gaining or losing weight, but instead stay around a certain weight for more than a few months, you could probably guess that your body is settling in a safe place for you. But here's something else that is very important. You will still fluctuate within your range. That is normal. That is human. And ranges can change for lots of hormonal and metabolic reasons throughout your life. So counting on a body that finally never changes, sorry, Molly is now sitting next to me and trying to get comfortable. Counting on a body that never changes at all. Like if, if, if that's like the secret sneaky goal of intuitive eating and the fuck a diet is like, Oh, final, I'll have a body that never changes. Uh, that's going to end up disappointing you because bodies change and age and change is the only thing that we can count on. So hoping change won't happen to you is only going to end up disappointing you. In conclusion, eating normally and listening to your appetite over a long period of time is going to end up being way more stable than our experience from when we were going from diet to diet waiting for an absolution that will never come, as Old Rose said in Titanic. I can't believe I ended that with 
a quote from Old Rose, but I think about that all the time. I just like repeat that line. I'm like, oh, we're all waiting for an absolution that will never come. Okay, so that's the end of my post. But please send in your personal stories and experiences with the fuck a diet, especially if you have one that can speak to your experience with weight range stabilization, like the one that I read today. If you think your story will be calming and inspiring to listeners of the podcast, send it to podcast at carolinejunior.com. Oh, have I done everything? No. Okay. So I also have a couple questions that I'm going to answer before I get to rambling. Maybe I won't even have time to ramble today. Um, if you want to ask questions for the podcast, you can go over to patreon.com slash Caroline Dooner and sign up for the $10 monthly goodies tier. And you will have priority to ask questions for the podcast, meaning they will be zoomed to the top of my Q and a list and will be answered in a future podcast episode. So here's the first question. I think I may have an eating disorder, but I feel like it gives me power and control. And I'm not so skinny that it's harming me. So if I'm not really harming myself, is it an issue? This is a great question. And the answer is yes, it is harming you physically, even if you don't look emaciated. And so this is a huge myth. The myth that eating disorders are only dangerous or bad for you if you're emaciated. This is very in line with the subject of weight range stabilization because there are a lot of people who have a higher weight range who starve themselves and never look thin or emaciated and therefore their eating disorders completely fall under the radar and or are completely encouraged by their doctors, nutritionists, and society. If people do not have an understanding of health at every size, weight set point theory, or eating disorders, um, they will probably perpetuate the disorder, especially when someone doesn't look like they have an eating disorder, which is extremely common. It's called atypical anorexia because it's definitely known that you can have anorexia without looking like you have anorexia, but it's called atypical because it's still thought to be something that doesn't happen very often. But in reality, it's probably the eating disorder that happens the most often, but is not diagnosed. Um, So... This is a great question because it's a really important subject. You can die of starvation even in a larger body. So just remember that it will still weaken your heart. It can cause an electrolyte imbalance that can be fatal. Just like a starving, just like starving in a skinny body, the same thing will happen. You just don't look emaciated. So even beyond physical harm that can happen from having disordered eating or an eating disorder, um, the other question to ask is, is it affecting your quality of life? Because using an eating disorder as a coping mechanism, it's really common. Again, it's really understandable. And in some ways, it's completely socially acceptable, which makes it easier to do and harder to recover from. But it's not actually power. You said that you feel like it gives you power and control. It is an illusion of power, especially if you spend a lot of your time worrying over food, exercise, or weight. Who's really in power, the eating disorder or you? 
It's the eating disorder. So dealing with this control aspect and getting therapy is going to end up healing a lot more than just your eating. But my answer to your, to your question is, is it an issue if you're not really harming yourself? Is you are harming yourself. And here's another thing. I read um, on Laura McCowan's uh, Instagram. So Laura McCowan, let me just make sure that I'm saying this correctly. Lauren McCowan. McCowan, sorry, Lauren, shit, am I saying it wrong? McCowan, Lara, maybe, darn it, Lara, shit, oh god, Lara, McCowan, okay, shit, sorry, Lara, <laughs> okay, so Lara McCowan, Lara underscore McCowan, she wrote a book that just came out that I have not read yet, but I am really looking forward to reading called We Are the Luckiest, and it's a memoir, and it's about her sobriety. And no, I am not a sober person, but I do think that it's important, and it's like it's a really big subject, and it also has a lot to do with eating disorders. Like, it's an addiction, there's an addiction to having an eating disorder, an addiction to dieting, an addiction to control or a compulsion uh, to controlling your food and controlling your weight. It can it can be a very similar underlying issue to um, other addictions. So one thing that she wrote is to those wondering, people who don't have a problem with alcohol, don't think about having a problem with alcohol. So if we're going to apply that to eating disorders, if someone is saying, I think I might have an eating disorder, but I probably don't, probably means you do have a problem with eating or in the very least it's disordered eating. But I think the thing that's so hard, and this is, we're coming to the end of um, NIDA week, National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, we tend to think of eating disorders as this black and white thing. If you don't eat food and you're really skinny, you have anorexia. If you binge and throw up, you have bulimia. Everything else is just like a healthy lifestyle. And that's not how it works. It's a spectrum and there are so many more behaviors that actually are, you know, could be classified as eating disorders. Even just compulsive exercising is actually a form of bulimia. It's exercise bulimia. Um, anyone who is super, super restrictive with food, even if they don't look like they have anorexia, might have anorexia. Uh, so it's a, honestly a lot more widespread than we tend to think. And then even when you know, it's not a full-blown eating disorder, so many of us struggle with some version of disordered eating and some people will have extremely mild disordered eating their entire lives and because it never came to a head it's never addressed but you guys who are listening to this probably experienced a lot more extreme disordered eating that really did affect your quality of life and that's why you're finally trying to do something about it but basically it's extremely widespread, it's culturally endorsed, and that's what makes it so, so hard to recover from beyond just how difficult it is to have a body in the first place that's uncomfortable. We're dealing with a culture that 
makes it seem like a responsible thing to have disordered eating. So thank you for asking that question. It's a really good one. And I'm sure there are lots of people who will um, resonate with it. So here's another question. Is it normal on the fuck it diet to go through different phases of eating previously forbidden foods? The answer is yes. And the answer is always to just allow and be curious about why we're doing what we're doing. And as an example, last year, I went through, um, it was my seventh year of the fuck it diet. I went through this like really extreme Pop-Tart extravaganza phase last year because I never, I never really had them in my initial fuck it diet refeeding. And a year ago I was like, wow, Pop-Tarts. And I just had them all the time as a dessert. And now I'm so sick of them. I'm over it, sick of them. It was a phase. I went through it. Um, and I did sort of notice, I was like, this is funny. This is like one of the foods that I never was really allowed as a kid. And so I'm sort of like going through my little um, Pop-Tart refeeding right now um, last year. It was another, it's just little new layers of healing, I think. And there's always something else that we're healing. So yes, it is normal to go through different phases of eating previously forbidden foods. And you might be doing it for a long time. Um, even once you feel like, like obviously last year when I had my Pop-Tart extravaganza, I felt super healed with food. It wasn't like I was having some sort of like dramatic and scary experience with Pop-Tarts, but I just noticed, I was like, oh, I'm going through a Pop-Tart thing right now. And now, and then I started noticing, I was like, oh, I have all these Pop-Tart boxes that I just like don't want to eat anymore. Okay, next question. Why do I feel the need to eat when I'm not hungry? So this is a compulsive response. And very often or most often, it's a compulsive response to forbidden food, a past with a lot of dieting, or generally having lots of rules around food, or being on an arbitrarily restrictive plan. So restriction, dieting, and even past dieting or threats of future dieting can cause a compulsion to eat and that is why it is so important to address restriction and also stop assuming that wanting food is a bad thing Um, wanting food and wanting to make sure that you have food is a response to something and because food is essential and necessary and part of our survival um we are hardwired to be compulsive with food especially if there is any sort of real scarcity or even perceived scarcity which is why arbitrary rules and also the threat of future diets can keep us in sort of like a state of compulsive eating or binging so the other thing is that chronically restricting will actually make eating a way more effective drug and more of a compulsive habit because the body is sort of always wired to fixate on it and to reward you for eating because it is not in a state where it feels safe about whether it's going to be fed or not. The other thing is that it could just be one of your only coping mechanisms. So making sure that you're in therapy or that you're doing all the work to really address the underlying trauma, 
you're feeling your feelings and working through the things um, that need to be worked through and also finding other ways to take care of yourself besides food is also important, but that is secondary to me. I think that the most important place to start is to address address your restriction because that is, you can address all of your like, you know, childhood emotional trauma and all of your wounds and feel all of your feelings. And if you're still restrictive with food, you're still going to be compulsive with food. So that's why to me, that's secondary. And the first thing to be addressed is the restriction with food because you can, and it's one of the things that I thought I was going to do before the fuck it diet. I was like, I am a binger, which means that I'm probably emotionally eating. I thought they were the same thing. And I was like, okay, so if I'm eating emotionally, then I just need to to like self-help myself to to like perfect dieting because once I don't have anything to numb, I won't eat emotionally anymore. And that's actually not the case because I was still so restrictive that it wouldn't have even mattered if I'd addressed all of my like emotional wounds. I still would be compulsively eating because I was still in this restrictive mentality. How long has this been running for? Let me see. You know what, my friends? That's the end of the Q&A for today. Um, So if you would like to ask a question for the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash carolineduner, sign up for the $10 a month goodies, and you will have your questions prioritized and answered on the podcast. So what's new in my life? Um, Something that I'm very excited about is this week my agent started talking to the publisher of the fuck a diet about my second book that I have been writing. Um, we still aren't sure yet if the publisher that I have for the fuck a diet is going to think that the second book is a good fit for them. Um, and if they don't, then we will shop it around to other publishers, but, um, I've been writing it. I've been spending a lot of my time and a lot of my days writing it. Um, it's going to be called two years of rest. Um, and yes, it's going to be about my two years of rest, my existential rest, uh, that I went on from 2016 to 2018. However, even more than that, it's going to be a memoir of all of the exhausting things that I've done in the name of self-help and chasing spontaneous, miraculous healing. And so that's going to be all about all the self-help books and all of the dieting, um, as well as uh, the fuck it diet and like what my actual experience on the fuck it diet was and then my two years of rest. Now, I will say that's kind of like a crazy, um, I feel I feel a little bit that it's too big of a, of a subject of a book like basically right now I feel like to write all of the things that I have um proposed (laughs) like I had to create a proposal that we're using to you know to communicate what this book is supposed to be with the publisher to see if they want to publish it um and I've written the proposal and I've written the full outline and I've written a lot of the book And right now it feels like the book 
would be too long if I actually wrote all the things that I am proposing that I'm going to write. And so that's really stressing me out because I, you know, it needs to have enough of the explanation of why and what it was like and how I got there and what led to the fuck it diet and then what led to the two years of rest. But if it's called two years of rest, it has to really go into the two years of rest in a way um, that made me nervous because I didn't want to write another self-help book. I wanted it to be more memoiry and it will hopefully be, you know, re- reflective of your own experiences in its own way. But um, basically that's something that I'm trying to work out and I'm writing it and it's hard and it's fun and it's stressful and it's um, hopefully going to be good, but maybe not. And we're just going to have to see. But that's exciting that um, the ball is rolling on maybe getting a book deal for it so I can actually write it and get it out into the world. Um, the second day that the fuck a diet was out, I got a, a DM from someone that said, I finished your book. When is your second book coming out? And I was like, wow, that's like all I would ever want to hear that somebody read it and loved it and wants to read another book. Um, but also I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. So then I felt overwhelmed. But what's new, right? We all feel overwhelmed. And I was like, you know, I want to write a book about rest, but I'm stressed about it. And isn't that ironic? Um, what else? So, okay. So I'm very excited because I'm going to be running the Fuck It Diet book club again in May and June. It's going to run from May 11th to June 5th. It's going to start enrolling mid-April. And then, oh, and then I'm going to Spain. Oh my God. I'm going to Spain with my family, which is so bizarre. It's so cool, but it's like, we're going on a family vacation as if, were like teenagers and my parents are like let's go on a family vacation but I am 32 my brother is 30 my little sister is 22 or maybe 23 hard to say I'll have to ask her and get back to you um we're going to Spain I do not speak Spanish I took French um we're going to Madrid and Barcelona and Sevilla I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I've been trying to learn Spanish on Duolingo. And um, I got through, you know, I got to like the restaurant section. (laughs) And um, yeah, it's the first time I've ever learned Spanish, which is like kind of crazy. Um, But what, why am I talking about this? Oh, uh, at the end of April, I'm going to be in Spain while it's enrolling. So that's why I'm kind of starting the enrollment early April and then I'll be back when enrollment is kind of like wrapping up and then I gave myself a a couple days of buffer time to like make sure that everyone's on the same page before we start the fuck a diet book club and the fuck a diet book club is literally a community and a group program that has Q&A calls with me every week for eight weeks I've broken down the book into eight weeks of curriculum so we focus on different sections of the book each week and I have bonus prompts and um, bonus content that was cut from the book, as well as a really awesome 
community and it takes place on mighty networks which is it kind of mimics a facebook group but it's not facebook i wanted to take it off facebook i didn't want to be spending time on facebook in order to run um this fuck a diet group and the other cool thing is that people um a lot of alums are going to be repeating so one of the things that I hope to create with this is sort of a community that, that community that builds on itself. So if you join, you are automatically included for free in the future rounds of it, which allows there to be sort of this community of people who've been doing it for a longer time, who already sort of went through it the first, second time and who get to be a support to the new people, but also it acts as a support for them as well. So I'm very excited about that. You can go to thefuckadiet.com slash club and sign up for the waitlist if you want to be in the know when enrollment opens. And um, it's going to be, the price is $547. There is also a payment plan. Um, and I hope that you join if you are interested in doing a program with me, but also with a community of people who are trying to make the fuck a diet work and who want kind of the structure and the accountability to really go through, do the prompts, talk about it with other people. Very excited. Um, man, this is like so weird. So I'm trying to be more organized, right? <laughs> and so I wrote out, I wrote out the outline for today's episode and as I shared last time I have this structure now where I do the listener emails and then I do the bulk of the content which is their interview or today it was a blog post then we do Q&A's and then I'm allowed to ramble and I literally wrote down this is like so weird I've never done this before but I wrote down I was like these are the things that you <laughs> might want to ramble about because whenever I get here I'm tired and I can't think of anything and I'm like I don't even know what I wanted to say or what I you know so I wrote down some things I, I was like you could ramble about second book the fuck a diet book club medical marijuana the book is out in so many languages how do I clean my dog's teeth but it I don't know it feels so weird like it doesn't feel right to write down the things that you're going to ramble about it's just weird I don't know I'm just trying to figure out I'm trying to figure out how to make this podcast sustainable in a way that's livable for me that's listenable listen listenable for you oh my god um and I'm you know I don't know what I'm doing but uh medical marijuana I got my medical marijuana license in PA even though I am not a pot smoker and I've had some really really paranoid experiences with pot in my brave wild youth in college and even one time like not that long ago like a couple years ago I someone let me like try their vape pen and I felt horrible like my jaw hurt and I was just like sitting there on this bean bag like overthinking everything and I was like wow marijuana is not my friend but I actually don't even know what inspired me to do this but I have a really good friend um at this point who lives on my block in Philadelphia, who I met through my dog because my dog and her dog became friends at the dog park. But she uh, smokes a lot of pot and I never do. And she wanted me to go with her 
to get her medical marijuana license. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this will be helpful for sleep. Maybe I really could like it. And guys, it is really helpful for sleep. I can't even believe it. Um, Indica, and I don't smoke and I don't vape. I take these like a pill and it's Indica and it takes two hours to kick in. So I'm like, oh, I want to go to bed at 1030. Like I'm going to take this at 830. And it really works. Um, But now that I've found that it works, I'm going to back off and use it on special sleep occasions. Um, I also really don't understand how people, I mean, I understand that Indica is the mellow one, but I still don't get how people can smoke and then do things. Because to me, it's such a sedative that it, you know, it makes me not want to talk. And yeah, so to me, it's like a sleep aid and it's pretty great, but I'll update you on it let you know. Let you know if I become a drug addict, um, I will surely update you on that because you never know. Um, I just kind of think it's strange that only now, like in my early 30s, I'm like, ooh, pot? And according to my cool younger sister, she's like, nobody says pot, Caroline. It's weed. So if you didn't know that, now you do. Uh, Oh, guys, I just started Love Island last. No, not Love Island. Wait, what? No. Not Love Island. I did watch Love Island, however, but I just started Love is Blind last night on Netflix, which is where you meet people and you don't see them and you have to choose who to get married to without ever seeing them. And now I'm at the point in the show where I guess it's like five, like maybe five couples got engaged without seeing each other. And then the next day they get to meet in person. And then now, just just now in the show, they are um, on vacation together and they have two weeks to get to know each other before they get married. The, the wedding is set. Um, and it is so stressful to me like watching it I feel like I'm in a nightmare that I've had like a nightmare where I'm like oh no like I'm engaged to this person and I don't even know them and I don't even know if I want to marry them and I'm like planning my escape and I'm like wondering if I should um call off the wedding or just marry them and then get divorced like I have dreams (laughs) I have dreams like this not that often but often enough you know often enough that while I'm watching this I'm like this is a nightmare and also it's so awkward, like watching these awkward conversations between these people who are now engaged, but who do not know each other at all and are like, do I like this person now that I'm like standing next to them? The conversations and like the just, oh, it's so awkward to me that it makes me like a little bit nauseous and I have to stop it often and like breathe and be like, it's okay, Caroline, it's not happening to you. This is one of my issues with television and TV and uh, movies is I, it all feels so real to me in a way that's very overwhelming. Um, so, you know, I'm just trying to like stay current with the world who's watching Love is Blind. So if you are not watching it, I do recommend it if you would like to be very stressed out and, and entertained. Um, I cannot speak for the entire thing because I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but I am enjoying it. And 
I have decided in this moment that I'm not going to talk about my last bullet that I put in my rambling outline, which is how do I clean my dog's teeth? Just know that I have, as of this week, started to ask the question, why didn't I start brushing my dog's teeth when she was a puppy, when my veterinarian told me to start brushing her teeth? I was like, oh yeah, sure, sure. Tried one time. It was really hard. I abandoned it. But guys, it's that's an absurd ask. It is absurd. And I mean this as as someone who loves my dog more than anything else in the world and pretty much revolves my entire day and life around my dog and her happiness, the idea that I'm also supposed to be brushing her teeth every day is crazy to me. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to figure it out. If you want to tell me how to keep my dog's teeth clean without having to brush her teeth, um, you can DM me on Instagram and I will be very, very thankful. Um, All right, that's it for now. Next episode will come out in two weeks and it will be um, another interview chat. I'm almost positive it's going to be my interview about diabetes. So please stay tuned. Um, subscribe to this podcast if you're not subscribed so you get new episodes as soon as they come out rate and review the podcast five stars and if you've read the book please rate and review the book five stars as well it really does help people to find it and another way that you can support the fuck it diet both the podcast and just the fuck it diet in general is to buy the book and gift it to your friends um or gift it to a library. It really does help. The more people buy the book, the more um, the more of a chance it has to reach more people. And lastly, if you want to help shape the actual content of future podcast episodes, send me your success story at podcast at or join the Patreon for the $10 monthly goodies and you will get the monthly archived content and you will be able to ask questions that will be prioritized and answered on future podcast episodes. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. That took a lot out of me. I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. And uh, bye. Teach me how to clean my dog's teeth. Thanks. Thanks.